For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Morning, everyone. Good to be uh, with you this morning. It'd be brilliant if you keep that bit of the Bible uh, open. Ephesians chapter 3. It's a wonderful prayer that God has given us. Let's, uh, let's pray again and ask for the Lord to strengthen us. Father, thank you for uh, this prayer. Thank you for all of the encouragements uh, that we have here of the things that you long to uh, give uh, to us. And we pray that by your spirit, you would give us a real hunger uh, for the things that you lay out here for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Nike, the slogan, uh, just do it. Uh, it's famous everywhere. Makes life sound so easy, doesn't it? On a good day, just the motivation, just, just do it. Couldn't be easier. Just uh, live life like that. The Christian life is, is, um, doesn't often feel like that. Just as easy as that. No doubt we all have moments where we very much feel the opposite of that. I don't know how we, your week has gone, but often we feel a bit more like this. We say, Lord, I just can't do it. I just, I just can't do it. I just can't do life. As an individual, that's what we feel. Or as a church, uh, we say, Lord, we just can't do it. We just can't do what you're laying before us, Lord, as a church. It's, it's just beyond us. It's very often that's what the Christian life can feel like. So, um, you know, the, the, the child we're caring for has a, just has another tantrum. The pain um, flares up again. We, we get unexpected bad news. The, the A-level coursework is just, is just relentless. It just keeps coming and coming. That's as individuals. As a, as a church, you know, maybe we feel what the, Lord, the season the Lord is leading us through or what he's putting us through. It's just too much. And we say, Lord, well, we just can't do it. And it may be that there are things that we can change that we need to think about individually or as a church. Uh, find some help. Um, but there may be things in our lives that we just, it's much harder to change. We feel trapped in them. Either way, Paul expects that the normal Christian life will have within it a sense of powerlessness. And so we will need to pray for power. And this prayer that we have before us is a prayer for power. It's really the hinge of the letter. It comes off the back of where we were last week, chapter 3, verse 
13, where the, the Ephesians attempted towards discouragement. And off the back of that, we have this prayer for, for power. But it comes halfway through the letter as well. Maybe you remember the first half of the letter, chapters 1 to 3, we're saying is, is know God's plan. And then the second half, chapters 4 to 6, is live God's plan. Or we could say, know who you are. Be who you are. And uh, at the end of chapter 2, I wonder if you turn back to that, page 1175. At the end of chapter 2, he laid out, we had the culmination of knowing God's plan. In chapter 2, verse uh, 22, in him you also, Jew and Gentile, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So that was the culmination of God's plan, all things under Christ, one new humanity, Jew and Gentile built as a dwelling place for God. And it launched into chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And if you remember from last week, he was about to pray. For this reason, in the light of this, I, I pray. And then even as he said that word prisoner, he sort of tripped himself up and realized he, he needed to say a bit more. He was worried when they heard the word prisoner that they'd give up on God's plan and God's power. Because when there's suffering in the mix, it just looks so weak in comparison with the greatness of the world around. Great is Artemis, you remember. Great is Artemis. And so, verses 1 to 13 of the chapter, he just goes back through the truth and the power of the gospel to encourage the Ephesians. And now, in our prayer, verse 14, he picks up the thread. For this reason, because Jesus has been raised in power, because there's one new humanity, because God wants to dwell in you, because God's power is greater than Artemis, for this reason, I pray. I pray for you. So that's where he is in the, in the first half of the letter, the climax of the letter. But as we look into the, the next few chapters, which we'll get to next week, we realize that we will need this power as we try to live the second half of the letter, as we try to live God's plan. Because, I mean, cast your eye over chapters 4 to 6, the sorts of things that uh, Paul is going to call us to, uh, to live out. You know, just straight into verses 1 and 2. Um, Worthy of the calling to which you've been called, live it out with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. I wonder how you get on with bearing with one, in one another in love. Very quickly as I try, I find myself saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. He'll call us not to covet. He'll call us to resist anger, to resist sexual immorality. He'll call us to be thankful. And we find ourselves saying, Lord, we can't do this. It's beyond us. We just can't do it. And so Paul gives us this prayer. He says, yeah. I know, you're, you're human, you're sinful. This side of heaven, none of us will do this perfectly. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for God's power. And so this is where the, the, the passage goes, really. It's a prayer for power. And it breaks down as a prayer for power, for inner change. Prayer for power to know God's vastness, all of it to the glory of God. So let's dive in. Let's see, first of all, a prayer for power for inner change. Change. Let me reread verse 14 and 16. For this reason, says Paul, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. 
So these verses are bursting with incentives to pray. Things like Paul encourages us that we're children of our Father. And not just any Father, we come to the one who has all authority, from whom all authority and fatherhood comes, the Father of all fathers, the Lord of all lords. And more incentives, verse 16. This God is not short of resources. Paul prays that he would give according to the riches of his glory. According to. Not out of his riches. I mean, if you, um, if you approached a, a billionaire to ask for a gift, if you happen to know a billionaire, terrific, that's, uh, that's great. Be pleased to meet uh, him or her as well. But um, if you come to a billionaire and ask for a gift and he or she gives you a £10 note, they give out of their riches and not a huge amount out of their riches. If they give according to their riches, on the other hand, they take out the checkbook and they say, how much do you need? They're giving according to their riches. And the Bible says that God gives according to his riches. In other words, he has a limitless supply for our needs. And he doesn't hold back. He has a limitless supply for our needs. Now, now the needs there, um, biblically, um, our our needs are not sort of defined in terms of uh, health and wealth and prosperity. This isn't the sort of prosperity gospel, you know, blank check for for all of the the things that we might desire in in life. No promises for, for all of those in this life. Verse 16 defines what we need, and what we need is to be strengthened with power by God's Spirit in our inner being. That is what God longs to supply. And so the focus really is on power in these verses. So verse 16, do you see powers there? Um, Verse 18, we get it again, strength to comprehend. And then in verse 20, uh, we get according to the power. So in each section, strength or power is a major theme. It's a major theme of this letter, I think, because it's a major preoccupation of Ephesus in that time. And when Paul thinks of power, he's not thinking about outer power or outer might or strength. He's not thinking about the, you know, the guy at the gym who can bench press an enormous uh, amount. He's not thinking of the pictures we see in the, in the Rugby World Cup, people sort of bashing into each other. Nor is he spe- thinking of political or, or military power, such as the terrible destruction we're witnessing on our screens in the Middle uh, East. He's not even talking about spiritual power in terms of miracles. He prays for the power of the Spirit in our inner being, which is far more powerful and changes the world far more as God changes us. So think about it for a minute. You and I, we we all obviously have an outer person. We spend a lot of time thinking about our outer person and and addressing it. We, we uh, We have hands, we have nose, we have Hair, they're all part of our outer person. Even, um, even stuff like our kidney and our appendixes, appendices, appendices, whatever it is, even, even them, although they're on our inside, are part of our sort of outer physical being. But the Bible says that we have an inner being as well. No doctor can do an operation to find it. It's unseen. It's our soul. It's our heart. It's the deep you. And that is what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying for their inner being because that is the place of 
motivation. That's the place where character is formed, where will and decisions are made. This is the place where we bear the fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. This is the place where we resist the fruits of the flesh, jealousy and anger. Paul prays for their inner being. Because that dictates the sort of people that we become and the place where we spend our eternity as well. Now, now listen, of course, it's not wrong to, to pray for our outer being, for, for relief uh, from a cold or, or pain, or to seek relief and, and practical help. That's not wrong. And yet alongside that, Paul encourages us to, to pray uh, alongside that for our inner being, to be changed. Our outer being, Paul says elsewhere, it's wasting away, but our inner being can be strengthened with power. And the word for power that we have here in verse 16, the word for power in, in the Greek is the word dunamis. It, it means the ability to get something done. We get the word dynamite from it. I guess that's a way of getting something done, isn't it? But in a more destructive way. But, but this is the idea of the ability to get something done. And this is, I think, where it starts to land for us as Christians, because you and I don't have the ability to live the Christian life. We're not able. But the Bible says that God has the ability, has the power. He is able. In fact, in verse 20, it's the same word. Now to him who is able, to him who has the power. He has unlimited power and ability at every point to help us in our struggles. Well, what does that power enable us to do? And verse 17 comes at the same thing in another way. God's power enables us to have Christ dwelling in us. And so verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love. By uh, dwelling in us, he doesn't mean dwelling in us for the first time. He's not talking about, he's not praying that they'd become Christians. They are Christians in Ephesus. They are in Christ. They have a brand new operating system on the inside. Christ is in them. No, no, Paul is praying that Christ, with all of his resurrection power, would become a stronger influence as he, as he dwells in them, as he takes up permanent residence, that his image would be formed more clearly in them. Like those old sort of photo negatives. Some of you are sort of photographers and you're in your darkroom and, and, uh, and, and you shape the paper and just slowly the, the image develops in front of you, Sorry, stronger and stronger. He's praying for that. Or, or he's praying that Jesus would dwell. It's a strong word there, the idea of permanence. So imagine a, a, a couple, and they inherit some money, and they, uh, they go and they, they, they buy a, a holiday house. They buy it as a wreck. And over the, the months and the years, they, they start to, to do it up. And eventually, uh, they finish it, and uh, it's done. And it looks absolutely fabulous. But imagine that they keep it uh, as a holiday house. I mean, that's quite, a, that's quite a large holiday house, isn't it? But imagine that they keep it as a holiday house, and they stay living where they are for, for, for many years. And during that time, they, they sort of just tinker with the holiday house and the inside of it. 
They don't really put up any paintings so that there's. They don't do anything to the internal decor. It just, it just sits there. They visit it every so often, um, but you know, it's not really theirs. And then one day they decide, let's move in. Let's sell the place that we're in. Let's fully commit. They take up residence in it. And at that point, over the next 10, 20 years, they project their image on the house. They, they, they put up the things in all of their favorite colors. They put up all of the pictures on the wall that are, that are theirs. They make it their own. They, they develop the garden. They dwell there. And that's what's being spoken of here. That Jesus Christ, who's taken up residence in us, would dwell, would have his influence upon our lives. That is what Paul is praying in our inner being. Now, maybe you see, if you think about it, that maybe our attitude to Jesus is that we kind of, we want him to come and visit, to, to stay for a bit, maybe to sort out the things that we find hard in our life, but, but not really to unpack the bags and move in. We give Jesus squatters rights. It's good to have him in my life, but it's, it's my life still. Well, Paul is praying against that attitude because he knows that we're going to miss out on all that Jesus would long to do. Or maybe think of us as a church. We've been around, this building's been around for about 136 uh, years. Some of us have been members here for 20, 30, 40, 50 uh, years. And we would say, we're, we're, it's tempting for us to think, well, we're, we're glad that Jesus is, is with us in our church, but gosh, we're not sure that we'd want him to sort of dwell and reside and, and, and take over and, and change us all. You know, radically change us. That would start to feel a bit uncomfortable. Maybe the church wouldn't feel like the church we once knew. And yet, surely, if the changes that Jesus brings reflect him, well, praise God if he grows and changes us. And many, I know, who are here delight in the changes that Jesus has been making in the time that you've been here. So Paul is praying that Jesus would dwell in us. Jesus won't force himself Upon us, it is through faith, we're told at the end of verse uh, 17. In other words, we cooperate as we personally trust in Jesus, as we ask for his character. And so as we go around this week, we find ourselves praying, Dear Lord Jesus, I need more of your patience in this situation. We say, Jesus, please form your peace and your joy in me as I struggle in that area. We say, Jesus, I don't feel very courageous in that situation. Please form your courage in me. And we'll trust him more as we see what his plan is all about. His plan is all about, verse 17, that we'd end up being rooted and grounded in love, planted in the good, nourishing soil of the knowledge that God loves us and cares for us. Now, some will remember Many years ago, Greg Luganis, the Olympic diver. Do you remember in the Olympics? I think it was L.A. He was the guy who banged his head as he went for that, that dive. Someone asked him what he, what he thought about as he stood on the, on the edge of a, of a diving board. Um, I would be thinking someone get me off this very quickly. But he said, he, he always stood on the edge, and, and he famously said, I remember that my mother loves me, and then I dived. What was he saying? 
He's saying, I remember the unconditional love of my mother for me. However, I'm about to get people holding up, you know, 6.0, 5 point, whatever, 3 point. But I'm about to get all of that judged by the world on the TV screens. I remind myself that my mother loves me. And then I dive. Paul prays for inner change for us. More of Jesus to be formed in us so that we will be utterly sure that we go out into the world and into life as those loved unconditionally by God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Not tolerated by him. Not a God who looks to trip us up or guilt trip us. A God who loves us. Who's concerned for us. He wants the Ephesians to be planted and to grow in the nourishing soil of God's love. Friends, what a difference that would make for us this week. If God was forming Jesus' character in our inner being so that the inner change started to show on the outside as we went into our lives this week, as we went to our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our offices, our shops. What a difference that would make. Well, Paul says, ask for it, for yourselves and for others. Pray for power, for inner change. And then verse 18 to 19, secondly, pray for power to know God's vastness. Let's read verse 18. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So again, a prayer for power, uh, for strength, to grasp with all the saints. In other words, we can't do this on our own. To grasp with all of the saints, the breadth, length, height and depth. It's an odd phrase. Uh, it's not attached to an object. Do you notice that? Breadth, length, height, depth of what? We're not told. Uh, the, the dimensions of love, maybe. Um, the dimensions of the temple, possibly. Uh, God. It's possible that it's linked with the, the occult in Ephesus. We know from Acts that that was a big thing that was going on. And it seems from excavations as well. There are lots of incantations that have been unearthed in Ephesus where people prayed to be initiated into the, the totality of the four dimensions of some sort of higher power. And it's quoted, breadth, length, height, depth. It's sort of been discovered. It's possible that that's what's in view. Or the temple language as Paul kneels like Solomon in, in 1 Kings 8. Either way, Paul is praying that they would grasp the vastness of God's power above all other powers. And is that not what we need as we live in this world, where we see powers all around us, influences pulling us this way and that, the, the winds of our culture going in one direction, the, the pressures of, of work pulling us in another? Do we not need to see above all the, the greatness of the power of the God of the universe in all of his splendor and wonder? And the vastness of God's love. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ. And I think in, in all of these verses, the vastness is the common theme, the breadth and length. The, the love of Christ here that surpasses knowledge. Again, an odd way of putting it. To know what is beyond knowing. He's not saying that you can't know God at all or that God is hidden. Now, God's love has been revealed in history at the cross where Jesus died for us, where, where he took all of his power and gave it in sacrificial love. 
But we need the vastness of God's power to start to know the vastness of God's love. To know it in a way that goes just beyond sort of intellectual knowledge. I think that's, uh, that's what's going on here. Not just sort of to, to know um, at an intellectual level. Maybe we can explain. I know that God loves me because, you know, he, um, he's proved it on the cross and we could tick that off. And, and certainly we don't want less than that. We want to be able to understand and explain it. And yet Paul is praying that we'd, we'd know it in a way that it's imprinted on our, on our souls, on our affections. It's increasingly our lived experience that we know that God loves us, whatever happens in life. And that starts to change us. And he prays it finally in these verses, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. What a thought that is. Throughout the Bible, God forms and God fills. In creation, he formed the world and then he filled it. With the temple in the Old Testament, he formed the temple, gave instructions for it, they made it, and then he filled it with his glory, his presence, like a cloud so that people couldn't go in. And now you see he's formed the church, the new temple, the new humanity. And now you see he wants to fill us as individuals, as the church, to capacity with all the fullness of God. Again, what, what, what a thought that is. Think of... Uh, all of the Pacific Ocean. Can you imagine that? Think of all of the Pacific Ocean, the fullness of it, just poured into a glass. Imagine that, all of that fullness, that vastness, just poured into a finite object. And that is where in eternity we're, we're going, friends. God is going to fill us with his fullness so that we experience all of the fullness and the goodness of God finally and fully. But for now, Paul is praying that we'd know more. Sure, before heaven we can't experience all of that, and yet he prays that we'd experience more. Here is another theme that comes through the book of Ephesians, this idea of fullness. We've seen it already, just uh, flick the pages with me. Uh, verse 123, we've seen it there, that the church is his fullness already. We are already, in one sense, his fullness. So there's not, let's be clear, there's not a second and a first class of Christian. One who's full and one who's not full. The book of Colossians rules that out. And yet, chapter 4, verse 13, we can grow in the measure of the fullness of Christ. We'll see that in future weeks. We can grow to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this idea of growing in fullness, I think, is another way of speaking of maturity. We'll see it in chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be filled with wine, but be full of the Spirit. So here's another thing. We're complete in Christ, but we can grow. And so if we go along with Paul's prayer, as he longs that we would, we'd say things like, Lord, I want, I want more of you. I want more of your fullness in my life. I want you to have more of me, to fill my heart and my life with the character of Jesus. And the question is, do we want that? Will we pray for it for ourselves and as a church? As individuals, think of the week ahead. You have different situations at work and school, at home. Some of us caring for children or parents or sick family members. We have financial worries, health worries. We feel the sadness of the world around us. And we want to be able to do this week with 
the sacrificial love that chapters 4 to 6 talk about. And yet we are unable. Unable to do it. I mean, we could survive and, and get through the week, but how much better to do it with more of the Lord's work in our life? To grow in fullness and maturity. And Paul says, well, ask. I bow my knees before the Father. Maybe we want to get specific and write down a particular situation we're facing and, and ask for a particular fruit of the Spirit to help us and fill us this week. That's as individuals. But as a church, and, and lots of the, the you in verse 19, it's a plural. It's, it's written to all of us together with all of the saints. We learn about God's power and love together as we learn from each other, as we serve together. And so for us as the church, what does it look like to pray this prayer? Again, it's true to say much of the, the growth that we in, enjoy and see and give thanks for. We, we also feel as a church pretty, pretty stretched as a, as a church. We're all feeling it as we, as we serve in our teams, our, our groups, the children's group leaders. We've heard a, a call for some of those. Now look, it may be as a church there are things that we need to, to change. Work out what we can and can't do. But even then, we're not going to be able to do chapters 4 to 6, sacrificial love, on our own. We haven't got a hope. We can't do it. So will we as a church take this prayer? And pray, not just for ourselves, but for our church, please. This term. That God would be at work. We say, Father, we need more of you. Fill us as a church with an awareness of your vast love and your power, fill us with the character of Jesus so that as he exerts more influence on us as a church family, so we might live sacrificial lives for you. Friends, there's no lack on his side of, of resources, his vastness, but it's for us to draw down on. He's not giving us this prayer to make us feel guilty or miserable failures, but to help stimulate an appetite for what God can do. And that's where the prayer finishes in verse 20 and 21, with all the glory going to God. Now to him who is able to do far more than all we ask or imagine. The first half of the letter now reaches this crescendo of praise. Because all of the power comes from God, all of the glory goes to him, the able one. And verse 20, when you strip it down, is a very simple statement in one sense. God is able to do what we ask. That's what he says. God is able to do what we ask. But then he adds, and think. Not just what we ask, but what we think. Because there are some things that you and I can imagine God doing, which would be wonderful for his name, but maybe they're too big and we don't ask. Paul says he's able to do those things. And then look at the verse again. He says uh, he's able to do all that we ask or think. And then he adds more than all we ask or think. And then he adds abundantly more than we ask or think. And then he adds far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He's giving us every encouragement, friends, to come and ask and pray, God will do it according to his power, in line with the resurrection power of Jesus, at work in us. He won't bypass his people to get done what he wills in the universe.
but he'll do it through us as we live out good works and as we pray. Let's wrap things up. Lord, I just can't do it. Lord, we just can't do it as a church. We're not able to live the Christian life on our own, nor does God expect us to. You and I don't have the ability for Christ to be formed in us. We can't manufacture it. These things are too difficult for us. And so God gives something simple to us. He says, ask for it. Pray for it. I will do it. I am able to do it in you. And so may God get the glory as he gives us power according to his limitless riches. A moment of quiet and then we'll pray. Father, living the sacrificial life that you call us to in this letter is impossible for us. We know that we will uh, fail and yet we long to, uh, to grow for more of your love and power to uh, shape us, to change us, to grow us. And so please, throughout this week, as individuals, as, as a church, would we often find ourselves saying, Lord, we, I can't do this. I need more of your power, more of your love, more of the inner change that your spirit does. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.